Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Brick by Brick podcast. I am John Errico, and I'm here, as always, with Ryan Goldfarb. And uh, it's a pleasure. We're actually here as a special episode of the podcast because we're actually on location. We're at a project of uh, of mine actually and we I was waiting for a building inspector who came right before we decided to record this but um, so we're in a partially finished second floor of a house and uh, we have no power on in this house so we're recording this episode with a humongous generator running that could power uh, a small city but is being used to power my laptop so we have that and the mixer and I think we'll do our best to edit that out but uh, to the extent that there's some noise in the background, that is the reason why. I've got to say, this is this probably takes the cake for the most hacked together setup we've had for any of our recordings thus far. Yeah, I think I think we've won it. We've gone from recording in an actual studio <laughs> to recording in a partially finished house. Today's episode, we are talking about working in your business versus on your business. And that's a topic that is pretty near and dear to, I think, both of our hearts. By what we mean on that is, I guess the way that I think of this topic is that there are many components to running a small business. And one component, which is maybe what everyone thinks a small business is, is the operational component, as in what the business actually does. But another component is the sort of business component, which is that your business exists as an entity. There are things about the business that you need to operate as well in terms of the fact that you have a business from a legal or financial perspective, the fact that you want to grow your business or change your business or not get bogged down in the actual day-to-day minutiae of operating a business. So what we're going to talk about is the difference and the challenges that come when you're running your own small business, in this case, a real estate business that Ryan and I run, dealing with those the challenges of both being an operator of the business and being an owner and operator of a of an entity that is a business. Is that, is that a good way to describe it? I don't know if that was clear. Yeah, I guess I think of, it, think of it in a slightly different light. I guess the way that I compartmentalize it is that to me, working in your business is doing the things that your business needs to do every day to kind of maintain the status quo while working on your business is the act of working on the things that are going to grow your business or to make it operate more efficiently or to perhaps develop the systems that over the long haul are going to allow you to step away from the business when you please and while still allowing things to kind of fire on all cylinders and and hum, hum along as you sit on the beach and sip margaritas. Yeah, I think that that's a key point that you brought up, Ryan, which is the word process. So I think that we talk about that a lot. And we've talked about in previous episodes, our journeys to go from sort of a an entrepreneur working for ourselves, just kind of doing whatever, to actually working together as a team and also operating an actual real company and a real business. And something that has occurred to both of us, I think, maybe simultaneously or just in discussing, is the importance of having, the importance of treating what we're doing as an actual business and not as just an ad hoc sort of thing that we're kind of like hanging out doing just each for our own accord. And a big component of that is putting in actual processes that we can use to help our business operate. So I think, you know, one example for me was, you know, for for many years when I was doing real estate, or not for many years, but for the years that I was doing real estate stuff on my own, 
everything that I did was more or less reactive. So I would have a problem with say one of my real estate investments and I would fix the problem. And then I would go on and I would experience another problem or maybe a different problem and I would fix that problem. But now that I'm running an actual business and now that I'm more thoughtful about the process of running a business, I've realized that being totally reactive as in reacting only to emergencies is sort of a recipe for disaster because that for me is a definition of working in my business, but not on my business. I'm not growing. I'm not doing anything. I'm just reacting to problems that I'm having. To that end, when you... I, I knew you back when you were doing that. And obviously we had a relationship before we started these businesses together. But how did you treat your day-to-day? Were you truly only handling things as they came or was there some element of proactivity towards... Like, I guess, what was your overarching theme of what you were trying to do uh, irrespective of what ended up happening each day? I definitely had a a plan. I had a, I had a large idea of the things that I wanted to accomplish that were mostly around just kind of large goals. Like I wanted to acquire this many properties or I wanted to make this much money or something like that. But it was never really... It never really got to the granular level where any given day I was parsing out my time and saying like, okay, today I'm going to do this, today I'm going to do that. Most of the time it would be, I'd kind of wake up and say like, okay, today, you know, it'd be great if I get to this. But then before I got to that thing, that thing being the kind of like a bigger picture goal of how I would advance my career or my business, maybe 10 other things would come up. And that would sink my entire day. And, you know, frankly, that still happens to us. And we can talk about that. But (laughs) before I got to that bigger goal, I would just get so sucked up in all the things that I had to do that by the time I was done with that, I was tired and was like the next day. And then it would kind of be rinse and repeating for, you know, I would think for me, it was a series of months, maybe even a full year of that, that mode. And things really changed when I hired someone because I kind of recognized that I, I needed help. And then, you know, when we started working together, which was shortly after that. How did you deal with it when you were on your own? I guess the difference between how I was operating versus how you were operating is that you were doing a lot of the work yourself in in your early days. Right. Um, I, I kind of started off my first few projects really just handing the keys over to a GC with varying degrees of success. And I was certainly involved, especially when it came to picking finishes and figuring out layouts and overall plans and pricing things out and and you know handling that kind of administrative side of things. But it certainly didn't require the same level of involvement in terms of physically being there each and every day. So I think my focus had always kind of been finding deals and really handling kind of the acquisition channels, which you know I would still think is a big part of what the focus is today. Although increasingly the focus on that tends to be cannibalized a little bit by the operational burden that we face each and every day. But I think from the very beginning, I've always kind of viewed acquisitions and deal sourcing as the lifeblood of a business. Right. Um, I think there's always been an element of of fundraising and kind of doing the back office type work, whether it's whether it's fundraising, coordinating a loan with a lender or coordinating a construction draw with a lender or a capital partner or uh, handling accounting and bookkeeping. Um, there are always things like that that are going to require a certain level of involvement, but I, I would say that that's not necessarily a daily burden like maybe in or the recent incarnation of our business, like maybe going to Home Depot every day to make sure that materials are on site yeah. or making sure that every order is coordinated well in advance so that it's on site the day that it's going to be used. 
by either our guys or our subcontractors. Yeah, and I guys. think that that touches on a topic that maybe we'll we'll discuss in a future episode about doing work yourself versus getting someone else to do work for you. But I think a realization that both Ryan and I had. So you know, to give a little bit of context about what we're doing, we've talked about it on previous episodes, but just a very high level summary. So Ryan and I, we started out. We we got together. We'd known each other for many years, but we we got together and started a construction company, a general contracting company, and that kind of morphed into um, doing acquisitions together. So acquiring properties for kind of both of our own purposes. That morphed into this sort of prototypical proto not prototypical, prototype uh, kind of nascent fund that we're, private equity fund that we're raising, and then a management component and everything else. So at this point, we have our our hands in a lot of different disparate things. Some of them are very hands-on. I would say like the management is very hands-on because at this point, it's essentially just us. Construction was very hands-on and now it's become a little bit more uh, a little bit more laid back because we realized that we just didn't have the capacity or the desire to do that or and it wasn't lucrative enough. And acquisitions, I think, is something that we're we're ramping up. We've been trying to ramp up. That's hands-on, but in a little bit of a different way because we're not out, you know, in the field doing, you know, going to Home Depot or picking up a rent or something. It's more behind a desk maybe or, or, or you know, occasional traveling. But the, the reason I bring that up is because with all those things that we have going on simultaneously, there is really no way to work, to advance the business, to work on the business without having a, having processes in place to manage all of those things. So I'll give, you know, some very easy, obvious example. So we have construction workers that work for us and they'll work at our our different projects through our construction arm. It's not uncommon that those people will need materials to to go to the store, materials for the project. So they'll have to go to Home Depot. You might need to order something from a vendor. Maybe they'll need um, flooring or windows. Flooring, windows, lumber, whatever else. The reactive way to do that, and I think the way that I'd been doing it on my own, and when we might, if we weren't thoughtful about it, would be, okay, every time that one of our guys needs some material, we'll go to Home Depot with that guy and say, okay, like let's pick out the material. Here's the company credit card load it in the truck and come back. A process-based way to say to do that would say be, okay, let's be thoughtful about before we begin the project and say, what materials do we need? Or can we empower the construction guy that works for us to say, why don't you go to Home Depot alone, use our card and pick it up? Or why don't we call in advance to our lumber supplier and have the lumber supplier ship or deliver the materials to us on a certain day? I think one one example of I think where we've done that reasonably well is our architect will include a door and window schedule on the construction drawings that we have for the projects that we run through him and that to me is akin to how we should be thinking about each component of the the project so not just for doors and windows but it would be great if at the beginning of a project in a more systematic way we would sit down and say, okay, this is how much flooring we have on this floor, on floor one, on floor two, and in the basement. On the first and second floor, we know we're going with this certain type of flooring. So this is roughly how we're, how much we're going to need, assuming certain overages and accounting for some waste. This is how much we're going to need for the basement, which is going to be a different type of flooring. Likewise, do something similar for sheetrock, for lumber, for base molding, door and window casing, each item of the project so that 
we have kind of a master list of what our anticipated supplies are going to be. And then as we're going through the project, maybe we have a weekly meeting for kind of assessing where we're at with each project. And during that meeting, we say, okay, what's going to be the next order of business? What's the next task that we're going to have to tee up? Maybe it's time for sheetrock. We already know how much sheetrock we're going to need. So now it's just a matter of pinging our supplier and saying, hey, can we get X number of sheets of half inch or five eighths sheetrock delivered on this date? And then we can have our guys there ready to take take delivery and ready to hit the ground running that day. It just makes things so much easier from a logistical standpoint. And I, I think one of the things that we've discovered over the last several months, maybe the, the last year, is that there are significant costs, both in terms of time and money, to not having having those things handled operationally, whether it's the cost of someone not being able to work to their full capacity on any given day because they don't have the necessary materials, but you're still paying for the labor, or whether it's the cost of someone having to go make a second trip of the day to Home Depot because the materials that they needed weren't fully understood going into that day. So you underpurchased. All of those things in totality are, frankly, some of the main reasons why we don't have as much of an appetite to keep growing that side of the business because we don't think that that's the highest and best use of our time. But in a world where we were more effective owners or operators of a construction business, those are the types of things that we would really have to have a handle on to avoid operating in a more wasteful manner. It's one of those things where I feel like when I hear you describe it, it's it seems like obvious. It's like, oh, of course we would know ahead of time that we need this amount of sheetrock or something like that. But like it's almost embarrassing to even say that we well, haven't no, but been I mean, doing that. <laughs> but I think when, when you actually do it, when you actually realize the process of doing it, you realize that it's not easy. It's really far from trivial because it requires just to say that I'm going to need sheetrock is one thing. But then to say, okay, I'm going to need sheetrock. What type of sheetrock? Oh, well, I might need multiple types of sheetrock, right? I might need five eighths, half inch. I may need mold resistant. I might need this, I might need that. Okay. So where am I going to get the sheetrock from? Oh, okay. Well, I can get it from, you know, a couple of different vendors. I get it from Home Depot. Maybe I need to get it from Home Depot because I need it there today or tomorrow. Okay, well then how am I going to get it from Home Depot? Do I need to rent a truck? Do I need to bring my own truck? Can I fit it in my truck? Can I do I have to go with somebody else? Because it's a lot of sheetrock for one person. When I get the sheetrock there, where, where am I going to put it? You know, if it's if I if I'm getting it delivered, say after five, is my guy going to be there? Because maybe he went home at four. Or, you know, am I going to load it on the first floor? You know, it's a lot more complicated than just saying I need sheetrock. You know, there are a lot of components involved in it. And I think that's something that wasn't entirely obvious. I, I have a great memory of, I think, what, what an em- emblematic way in which we didn't know any better. And I think we just talked about this actually was when we were starting our very first project on the construction side, we, we didn't have any materials and we needed to get a bunch of materials. It was like day two or something like that. And we decided that we would get all the materials delivered from Home Depot and just the logistics of doing that. I mean, you were there for a whole day, right? Just to get Home Depot to deliver like 20 sheets of sheetrock and some some lumber or something like that. Yeah, I mean, part of it is that unpacking your point before about the task of quote unquote ordering sheetrock, one element of that is who are you going to get it from? And on the surface, everyone may seem, it may all seem like the same, especially for something like sheetrock, which is fairly homogenous and commoditized. The idea that ordering sheetrock from Home Depot versus one of our local lumber yards or building material suppliers, the idea that those would be any different seems kind of silly. 
but that that specific day is quite emblematic of how different the experience can be that the reason why I spent an entire day there and why I think we ended up wasting probably a day and a half of labor is because the delivery that Home Depot was supposed to make the morning of got canceled. And so I went to Home Depot to try to resolve it and to try to get something delivered same day. And I think ultimately the way it was resolved was that I think by the very end of the day, they ended up loading up one of their like in-store rental trucks and driving out there from a location from another location. Like a very far away location. Yeah. I think there were like three other Home Depots that like, were closer or uh, something. At least. And it was like going through a city to get out to the suburbs. It was just the most inefficient way to do it. But by that point, we had already, I think, wasted a day because guys were just sitting around waiting for materials to arrive. So we needed to get it there one way or another. And I think in hindsight, I, that's probably the last time we did any like large materials order from Home Depot for, for sure. delivery. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, at least in a way that was totally reliant on that happening when it was supposed to happen. But that's just a key difference that we, we we didn't know any better at the time. And now when we order from some of our other building suppliers, oftentimes they may be a little bit more expensive. But if you're talking about spending an extra $100 on materials for to save an extra day of labor, then it's it's a no-brainer, especially because those changes or those overages... Uh, really tend to compound, and when you factor in holding costs and everything else, you know, because we're we're looking at this from not just the construction perspective, but also having the investment, the success of the investment on our shoulders as well. It's it's a no brainer. Yeah, so I I think that 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 all gets to the point of saying we want to have a process. Just as an example of how we've changed, not to say that we have come up with some amazing solutions to this, but how we're trying to change is that. Now, when we start a project, say we were going to do that same project again, first of all, we'll have plans. That's a big step zero. We didn't have any plans, I don't think, for that project. Or we had kind of like... We had rough plans. Like we had like napkin. Yeah, you know, like on the back I think we had maybe plans. plans from a draftsman, not necessarily architectural. Yeah, so now we have essentially, you know, architectural plans. They might be drafted by a draftsperson, but they're architectural plans. And that alone is a humongous win because we can automatically see, okay, we're reframing these doors or these windows or these walls. And so we need lumber, you know, we need this amount of lumber or we need this amount of sheetrock, or we'll have one of our guys go in and say, Hey, we are going to, here's, here's a verbal description, of the scope of work. How much stuff do you think we, sh- we will need for that? You know, and spend an hour or two or three or even a half day just saying, here's a materials list of what we need so that then we can say, okay, well, we're going to go for our, go to our vendor, go to our supplier or whatever. And order that in advance or just anticipate that we're going to need it in advance and also be thoughtful about, okay, we need, um, you know, say for lumber, we need two by fours, two by sixes, two by eights. We need eight foot long ones, 10 foot long ones, you know, whatever it is. We might need a specialty um, LVL or something for some specialty beam, you know, whatever it is so that we can tee all tee up that stuff. And it, it's not only a matter of being more proactive, it's also being efficient and being time sensitive so that we can take that time and move it on to something else. I mean, the, the thing about the, the example that you brought up was that I actually didn't feel when I did that, I remember I didn't really feel bad about it. I actually felt that we'd accomplished something because I was like, oh, we got all the material. Like we got it off the truck. And that's kind of the delusion for me. Maybe you feel, you know, differently about it, but that's kind of the delusion for me that I sometimes get, you know, sucked into where I think, oh, actually I've accomplished a lot, you know, because I 
I got the material off this truck that we ordered from Home Depot and got it in the house. We got all the material. But there's another way of thinking that it's like, oh, well, yeah, I did do that. But at the same time, I wasted so much time because I could have been doing almost anything else besides, you know, my physical labor and getting the material off of a truck. So it, it's for me, it's almost like a, I like working a lot in the business because I feel like I'm doing stuff, right? But when I take a more of like a 20,000 foot view of the situation, I'm actually not really accomplishing anything because the stuff that I've done, I shouldn't have had to have done, right? Yeah. Uh, I guess as a segue back to the broader topic at hand, there's this constant dynamic or it's really easy to get sucked into this vortex of being okay with being busy, but not necessarily being efficient. Right. And I think those words all get used interchangeably. You can say you're being productive and you're being efficiently busy. busy. Right. (laughs) So there are a lot of things like that where you may be productive, you may be keeping busy, but the things that you're working on are not the things that are going to end up growing the business long-term or they're not going to set the stage for the business to be more successful long-term. So I think one significant way where I think we've improved from let's say 12 months ago versus today is in that experience, I think we walked away from it saying, damn, that was, that was a really frustrating, tiring, tiring day. But at least, you know, at least we got what we needed and and got the ball rolling on construction. Now, I think we would look at the same thing and say, okay, that's, that was annoying. That was terrible. I never want to have to do that again. What can we do to make sure that that isn't going to happen the next time around that we need to do the same thing? So we use Slack uh, for a lot of different purposes and it's been great. And I think the, you're going exactly where I was going to go. So go oh, right really? Ahead. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right so well, I think one of the great things that we've done recently in Slack, I think, I think at your instigation is we have a channel called Mistakes where we list all of the things that we've made mistakes on in the channel. My uh, parents told me to put me in there as the first thing. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> that, <but I'm... laughs> that's a deep cut. That's, <laughs> that's, that's unexpected. Wow. No, they don't have that kind of wit. We have a whole channel where we just write down things that we've made a mistake on. And uh, it's great because we it's it's the sort of thing where in the moment you'll be able to recognize it, but in a week you'll you won't even remember that it that it happened, you know. So we actually really need to go back through that channel right. and kind of compile them up a little bit. But if we have, I mean, I would say dozens and dozens of of things where we wrote like I need to fix this. I made the mistake here. I made the mistake there. From a mentality standpoint, I also find that kind of therapeutic because a lot of the things that we go through day in and day out that are just kind of frustrations that we deal with in the course of doing what it is that we do, I find those to be a lot more tolerable when we can kind of think about them in the bigger picture. And for me, the act of chronicling them, for example, in this mistakes channel, makes me feel like we're at least moving in the right direction of treating it more and more as a business and figuring out how to resolve the kind of systemic issues as opposed to just figuring out how we're going to address the task from that given day, no matter how frustrating or time-consuming or... I really think now that, that we're talking about in this context, for, for me, there's a... I'll give another example that uh, that happened recently where I sort of had mixed feelings on. We were both there, actually. We were getting concrete delivered at one of our, our places. And I think you and I had showed up so we're, we're re-pouring the basement floor, essentially the concrete floor of a basement. And you and I had showed up to observe, essentially, just because we were curious. And it was um, something we'd never done before, which is re-pour a basement floor. We'd done a bunch of framing and, and structural work to this house. And so we showed up and I, I think we had 
I think this is mostly my fault, but we had essentially ordered too much concrete. That was the long and short of it. We had ordered like an entire truckload of concrete, but we were only really ready for maybe like a half truckload or something like three quarters of a truckload. So we had poured that half you know, three quarters and we realized, oh, we have all this extra concrete that we've already paid for. So are we going to just throw it away? Like, you know, essentially pay for it, but not use it. Or should we just, you know, let it go in the basement floor and then just kind of figure out what to do with it. And I made this, this, the decision, I think you were going to the store to get some rebar or something like that. I made the decision to say, okay, let's just pour it in the basement and then we'll just make use of it because, you know, we already paid for it. And that was the wrong decision <laughs> in retrospect. It's not really related to the story, but, uh, you know, not related to the topic at hand, but that was, that was a bad decision. But what I then, what was, what I had to do was just shovel concrete from the side of the basement. I mean, the, the concrete was probably like in, in a pile that was like five feet high or something like that piled in a corner. It was me and four other guys. It was sort of like all hands on deck before this concrete dried. So I had to shovel concrete from the corner of this basement to other parts of the basement. And I was there for probably like two hours. Yeah. And this. I mean, think about how much more difficult it is to shovel concrete when you're being weighed down by three Ivy League degrees. <laughs> it was it was intolerable. I mean, I, <laughs> I could barely stand up. The weird thing is John likes this stuff. Which... Well, that's what I was going to say is that I actually, the thing about it was that I had two reactions. I, I My immediate reaction was like, like sort of like, thank God that we got it done because, you know, it would have been if, if the concrete had actually dried and we hadn't moved it, that would have been <laughs> so bad. You know, that would have been so bad. So I was like, well, thankfully we avoided that. And then we kind of had the added benefit of, you know, we saved like a hundred dollars or something, however much the concrete cost us. But in a bigger picture, it was insane because, you know, I, first of all, I'm not even sure that my help was necessary. I think probably the, the four, you know, guys that we had there, or is it five guys? I don't even remember the, the four or five guys that we had there were probably could could deal with it without me like jumping in and doing it. And also, you know, to Ryan's, you know, joke, um, that's probably not the best use of my skills and ability to, you know, shovel concrete from one side of a basement to the other side of the basement, particularly when we're trying to be more thoughtful about processes and everything else. For me, the appeal is, you know, I like doing that because I felt, oh, I've accomplished something, like I've done something that contributed in some way to the project. But on the other hand, it was, it's almost like, well, what, you know, like this is all premised on like a series of mistakes that I essentially am solely responsible for. And so I guess I kind of like made it so that the mistakes weren't as bad as they were, but it was all bad, you know, <laughs> tying this back into the, the higher level discussion though, I think it's worth pointing out that this last year, I think has set us up much better to craft the kinds of systems that we're going to need in order to operate more efficiently moving forward. For sure. I think it's going to be the the constant challenge is going to be having the discipline to say, no, I'm not going to go there and shovel concrete for four hours when I could be talking to a prospective investor or I could be facilitating a new direct mail campaign or right. any number, or, you know, analyzing the three or four deals that we might be looking at at that point in time. Right. So, I think, I think it's discipline is, right. is, 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 a, is a key to your point. I right. think it's, it's for, for me, it's hard to do that. It's right. hard to not do that. Right. Well, I, and I think it's when you take into account the financial matters, for example, when you think, you know, specifically in the context, in this case of the construction business, when we're, we're thinking about how much it costs to have guys there any given day. And then on the investment side, when you think about how much it costs to hold the property 
for any given month and then how that translates into the cost for just letting it sit vacant for a day or for not being like optimally efficient on that given day. Our natural inclination is to want to do something to resolve that. But I think the bigger the bigger task and the bigger focus should really be what can we do what can we do now that's going to prevent these issues from being issues in the first place on future projects. And I, I think that takes discipline to say no to a lot of the things in the moment today. Yeah, I, I think something that I, I come back to a lot with this topic is uh, is looking at other contractors and, and how they worked. And so this is just talking specifically in the construction context, but so we're, we're recently working with a, a um, I guess he's a general contractor. We're sort of using him for discrete tasks, but um, he's working on a project of ours in Jersey City doing some of the demo and doing some of the framing, which again is something that I think six months ago we would have just tackled ourselves immediately because we thought we would think that it's you know a financially better use of our whatever to say, have our guys do all the demo and our guys do all the framing. But I think as we've learned more and more, we have come to realize that it's not a good use of our guys' time to do that. But having said that, this guy is totally insane. Like he is completely nuts. I mean, he is like- We hope I, he's not listening. I, there's no way he's listening. <laughs> um, he doesn't speak English. He does not subscribe to a, what I would describe as a process-based way of doing work, but he he substitutes that by just being so crazy. Brute and, force. Brute force, right? It's like he has his guys- he, whereas I think Ryan and I are, our thought when guys are working is like, let's have two guys work together. Three guys, it's not an added efficiency. You know, four guys, it's, it's, you know, you're losing efficiencies with having more guys. He'll have like seven guys, right? Like attack it. And because he's there, I mean, not with a literal whip, but like he is literally there, like yelling at, least, at, at people. At least not a literal whip while we're there. Not while we're there. Yeah. Given his interactions with us, which we had some issues with like switching out dumpsters, where I think he called me, I want to say 15 times in a single day about getting a, as though I was like worked for the dumpster company or had some control over when like a guy in a truck was going to pick up a dumpster that was in front of this property. He called me probably 15 times about getting the dumpster. I can't even imagine how he was screaming at the guys that were actually taking the wood, you know, and, and crap that was in the house and putting that into the dumpster. I mean, it's crazy. But when I realized, you know, that guy and we picked him because he was responsive and he was slightly cheaper than some of the other guys that we used. I was like, you know, this is kind of our competition for efficiency, right? In the construction space, how are we going to, you know, the, the only way that we're going to do better than this guy is either ourselves become this guy, which I don't even think that I have the anything to do. Like I don't <laughs> have like the acumen or like the talent or the skill. I just, I'm not that level of insane or have such an amazingly well-oiled process to get it done that we're able to somehow compete because we're much more efficient. And I, I mean, I, I don't know, like part of my process is just to say, let this guy take care of it. You right. know, it's like this guy, you figured it out, you know, maybe like, you know, to get, to get people to throw away garbage, you have to be there and screaming at them and yelling at them and like being insane and, you know, half drunk and like, uh, <laughs> you know, like chain smoking cigarettes. Like that's like, you can do that. My process is to say, you take care of it. Right. I think to their credit, maybe one thing that they've figured out that we haven't been as successful with, at least we weren't for, for a short while, is we've really tried to avoid having projects sitting idle for any period of time. And so as a result, we would have two guys at one place, two guys at another place, maybe two guys at another place. So if we're the ones who are kind of managing and overseeing what's going on, it's very difficult for us to do that when the work is spread across two or three different job sites. Whereas in his model, he's 
he's there and he has his seven guys, but he's overseeing and making sure that it's being done in the way that he wants to. So he has essentially nonstop supervision, even if it comes at the expense. Like, I guess, I guess if you think about it, kind of like quanti- quantifiably being 100% efficient at one place is better than being 30% efficient at two locations. Right, right, right. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think that we never wanted to make don't currently, and I think never have wanted to make that commitment of saying, we're going to run a construction company. And therefore that means that one of the two of us are going to be at the job site every day, breathing down our guys' necks to make sure that it works. And as a result, the the people that we have that work for us now are people that are like, uh, the only people that we really want to work for, for us in that capacity are people that are autonomous. Or like we can trust that they're actually going to be motivated to do the work. We've had people that work for us in the past that are good workers as in they're capable of doing work and they're knowledgeable about it. But without supervision, they don't work hard at all. Or they work on the wrong things. They work on the wrong things or they create work or they, you know, have create problems that weren't, weren't problems or whatever else. So, you know, I think that that's, I think there are a lot of workers in the construction space that fall into that category where they know stuff and they're able to do good work, but they require supervision. And the way that we're situated, we just, we just don't have that. I mean, at, at some point we were trying we hired a foreman that we were going to say like, that could be the guy, but that didn't work out for all sorts of different reasons. And it would just became a, you know, a problem of managing the foreman and whatever, you know, I think if we were able to really ramp that up, that's what we would have to do. Right. And I don't think that, you know, the, the bigger picture here, which, you know, not to stray super off topic, but you know, is the question of how lucrative really is that? Right. And I, I think the answer in this space, in the, you know, the residential space is not very. Right. Um, but, uh, but anyhow, so, you know, I think it's a long way of saying that our process for dealing with construction projects has been, let's let somebody else that has that down take care of it. We can GC it, right? We can use our our permits, our license. We can deal with that maybe higher level type stuff. But in terms of the actual nuts and bolts of like getting the guys into a house to like get, you know, shovels and masks and gloves to take stuff from the house, put in the dumpster. Like, I don't really want to be really doing that. You know, I I just like that. That's not part of the process, you know? that I want to, they want to have, like, I want to give it to somebody else to do it. You know, I think that conclusion that we've finally reached and that we are now in the process of working towards is what is going to get us back to focusing on the things that really are the lifeblood of the business. Like as, as John alluded to, even at scale, a construction business is only going to be so valuable unless, you know, unless we get into the space where we're building skyscrapers or we're building 50 unit apartment buildings. In the residential space, unless you really have a system and are doing the things that, frankly, at this point, I think we've concluded we don't want to be doing, it's only going to be so lucrative. Therefore, it is in our best interest to refocus our efforts on the things that are are more lucrative and that we are better situated to handle. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm in no way regretful of the path that we've taken to get here, because I think as we said maybe at the beginning of this episode, when you were listing out the things that you know we would have to do for a construction project like buying sheetrock or whatever, and I said it sounds so obvious, but is in fact not obvious. That's how I think a lot of people, even well intentioned and experienced and educated and whatever else people going into the space, I think that 
it sounds so obvious, but when you do it, it's not. It's hard. And there are I so many that, micro. There are so many micro steps to every step right. of the process. And I think that that's not apparent. It's not apparent unless you have done it or or you take our great advice to <laughs> very deeply to heart. No, I mean it, it's really not apparent unless unless you live it. And now we know that, and maybe it was a hard lesson or an involved lesson to learn but now we know that and i think we've also gained a lot of you know ancillary knowledge about like how to do construction and and i Um, and i also think that and i also think that if we're getting back to focusing on what it is that's going to really be lucrative and really going to drive home the mission that we've set forth which is to do kind of to do real estate investing on a larger scale we're going to be much better at acquisitions because we're going to know we're going to have much better insight into what a renovation is going to entail because we've done a much wider assortment of projects and we've been inextricably involved in those projects. We're also going to be better property managers because we're going to understand the nuts and bolts of the business from, again, having been on site so much. We're going to understand how to raise money a little bit better because we'll be able to like actually glean insights from being the boots on the ground for an extended period of time that maybe other investors who are trying to raise money to do similar things can't speak to. Another interesting angle on this is, I think there are even some benefits from your perspective on the legal side, because I think something we've noticed on some of these properties that we're selling is that you'll be ne- or we'll be negotiating with the other party and the attorneys or the interme- intermediaries for this. And there'll be some discussions about repair requests, for example. And you, as our attorney, will obviously have a pretty good understanding of what it is that's being negotiated here. But the other attorney on the other side not only has never been to the property, but has no conception of what reframing something might entail or what an oh, yeah. oil tank might entail. This is like or, a whole other episode, like a whole other story on like uh, attorneys and real estate transactions. But yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I, it's very funny to see some of these requests. We got one recently was like, uh, where the attorney was trying to tell us that putting in an ejector pump was illegal or something like that. You remember that? It was yes. like, <laughs> I, it was just so funny to be, you know, because she didn't really know, I think that I was the client as well as the attorney for the client in a sense. And so she was just, trying to tell me like what the building code was. <laughs> it's like, what? I just can't even. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> um, the deal from hell. <laughs> yeah, that's a bad one. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do a recap of that when the, uh, when the wound has scabbed over yes. a little bit. Uh, <laughs> so I, you know, I think from, from a high level perspective, the, the journey of our careers working in real estate has been, uh, I think, slowly, sometimes painfully moving from, you know, working in a business, which is our own businesses, to working on our businesses, which is, you know, thinking strategically about growing and operating the business as a business. And we have done, I think that we have learned from, I wouldn't classify them as mistakes, but learned from doing things the opposite way, the importance of processes, thoughtfulness, and accounting for what is the best use of our time and our skills. And for aspiring real estate investors that want to be in this space, I would say, realize the level of complexity that there is in all of these tasks that we're talking about, particularly construction, which is, I think, what we we had the most examples from. But, you know, realize that when you're starting a construction project and you think, I'm going to do it, you know, quote unquote, myself, 
what does that actually mean? And then drill down and think, you know, if it means buying all the materials and, you know, whatever, how do you know what materials to get? How are you going to get it? How, you know, like, like think of the logistics of that and think, is there a way that I can do this efficiently that's respectful of my time and in a way that just sort of makes sense? I, I don't know how else to say. I mean, like, like in, in a way that is logical, right? I would also, I guess I would add to that, don't be afraid to pay a premium to not have to do some of this stuff. Now we are finally at the point where when we think about each individual line item, we carefully consider what will go into doing it ourselves versus just paying somebody a predictable sum to handle it on our behalf. Moving forward, I think we will be doing even more of that. And I think that you know the goal is obviously to allow us to do what it is that is the highest and best use of our time, which is going to be finding deals, raising money, figuring out the processes of building a business that is going to sustain for more than just the duration of time during which John and I are are inter- like inextricably tied to the day-to-day operations. Again, that takes that's going to take discipline. It's going to say take saying no to a lot of things. It's going to take probably paying a premium for things and just kind of swallowing it as a cost of doing business or cost of trying to to grow as a business but that's what it's going to take yeah i think i think um we're wrapping this up but i i wanted to you touched on an important point about paying a premium that i think we should briefly touch on which is that now that we've done this you know the construction side of the real estate business for a while i think we have a better understanding of what things cost and the the time involved and so now when we're paying money to somebody else obviously you know we'd like to get the cheapest price or whatever but i have a pretty good understanding about how much money people are making or are not making and that gives me a little bit of confidence in saying you know, I think a lot of times people go into the business and think, oh, I don't want to pay any money or I don't want to pay a lot of money because I'm being ripped off. This guy's making so much money, you know, it's just like three days worth of work and I'm paying him like 10 grand or whatever. You know, that maybe you are being ripped off. But I feel like now that we've gone through that process, I have a better perspective of saying, yeah, I know that I'm paying him a few thousand dollars more than his actual costs are going to be, but I know why, you know, I know like where that's going. And so I feel better about it. You know, right. I don't feel like I'm being ripped off. I understand the costs, I have you know. Two points, just piggybacking off of that. One is there's obviously this like this concept of things just being billed as like labor plus materials like that's thrown around everywhere in the real estate and the construction world. But I think in high, like after being involved in this for the last year or so to the extent that we have, I'm realizing that it's not it's not just labor plus materials. It's often it's also it's labor's labor plus materials plus profit and that that profit is that you're the price say, you pay agony or headache yeah. <laughs> which is you a quantifiable can, number i think right you can you can embed into that profit number that agony the expertise of somebody else who you are leveraging sometimes that's you know maybe for cleaning cleaning out an apartment that's just been full of crap there's not a whole lot of expertise that's required there so thus the the profit should be smaller but if you're talking about something that is you know rewiring a a whole apartment and troubleshooting something that could be potentially a a fire hazard or trying to salvage like a really a really intricate elaborate ornate old door or window or something like that you're not going to just put that on someone who has maybe on paper 
the labor and materials to do it. There's a quantifiable level of expertise that is necessary there. And so to pay someone a little bit of a premium to handle that on your behalf is more justifiable. But I, the second, and that, and that really kind of dovetails with the second point I was going to make, which is regardless of whether we still want to be doing things ourselves, it is very much a point of negotiation to be able to have a little bit of insight into what actually goes into the number that you're getting from someone else. So now we can say maybe a little bit more accurately, this is about how much time, i.e. labor is going to take to handle this task. This is approximately how much in materials we would expect to pay for that. It might come to $7,000 for us. Somebody else might be willing to do it for 8,500. But if that, if that clears up our plate to focus on the things that we want to focus on and we don't have to make three trips to Home Depot, two trips to the job site and handle some kind of logistics, coordinating access with a neighbor, then that's probably well worth our time. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, a way to summarize is for happiness and peace of mind, no price is too high. Just open up your pocketbooks and, you know, let the money flow. That's no, <laughs> obviously not, but I, I think it's, it's, it's a great point. I mean, I, I, um, I think that we're, we're, we're going to do a whole episode, uh, you know, on whether you should sub something out or do it yourself. And I think that we've, our views on that have really matured. And maybe, but, and maybe we'll, we'll piggyback off this with a part two at some point. That's a little bit more tactical about moving forward, how we're going to solve these problems and things that we think are, yeah. are indicative of growing, of, of working on your business rather than working in your business. I think this has been yeah. just a lot of rehashing stories about our failures in working in our business instead of on it. Yeah. And boy, do I have a lot of those stories. Well, thank you, Ryan. Thank we, you, will, we will do this again. And thank you guys for listening.